And now, live, it's time. Which team, by colors alone, is identifiable around the world? It's time for the JT the Brick Show. Which team, by slogan, commitment to excellence? On Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Just win, baby. All those things are the Raiders. Here's your host, JT the Brick. Thanks for coming back, everybody. Hour number two on Raider Nation Radio, brought to you by Resorts World. Everything in Resorts World, we talk about especially Doghouse Saloon. More and more people are going there, finding the sports book, seeing the sports bar, the music that's played afterwards. Head on out to Doghouse inside Resorts World for a great sports experience. And that's the place in Resorts World to place your sports bets as the casino. The book is right there inside that beautiful venue. Our number two of the show, Harry Ruiz, the Latino voice of the Silver and Black, will join us in a few minutes. Also, Kevin Kernan. Uh, 45 years covering Major League Baseball, mostly with the New York Post, on the latest labor negotiations between MLB and the union, which doesn't look good from the reporting, but I will say the reporting has been a little bit quiet here as they are meeting and going back to these negotiations, and they're in the middle of that right now. Uh, According to Evan Drellich, senior writer for The Athletic, sources MLB Baseball has tied eliminating direct draft pick compensation and free agency so getting rid of the qualifying offer to increase the cbt tax rates league today indicated willingness to raise cbt thresholds but not far from 214 million the current starting point in its offer sounds pretty complicated doesn't it i don't think anybody's interested in what i just said they just want to get a deal done So as of now, it's just a few hours away before this negotiating window ends, and they'll cancel opening day, and reports are that Major League, the owners have claimed that they'll cancel the first month of the season. They'll put that as a hard one month out to try to pressure the players. Will that pressure work out? We'll see. Uh, Good news for the Raiders today, depending on how you see it. I think it's all positive. The Raiders are going to play in Canton, Ohio, at the Hall of Fame game against the Jaguars. That'll be great as Cliff Branch is getting inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Richard Seymour, who played four seasons for the Raiders, is going in. Again, once a Raider, always a Raider. Seymour's a Patriot. He didn't get in for anything he did with the Raiders, but he's going in. You know, he's had he's had a history with the Raiders, and he was a member of the Raiders, but he's going in because of what he did with the Patriots, especially as a rookie winning the Super Bowl and all the big years he had in New England. But he's got fans, and there'll be Raider fans there to clap and, and bring him in. And then Tony Baselli of the Jaguars will be there, and that's a big one too. And I'm excited about this. So it's road trip time. If you believe you're going on that road trip, if you believe you're going on that road trip, let us know because it's a great road trip. I know the Latino voice of the Raiders, our friend Harry Ruiz, will be there. And, Harry, that's good news today. It starts training camp a little bit earlier, but I think Raider fans are happy that Clip's going to Canton. And the Raider fans will be more Raider fans now, obviously, because they're playing in the game. Absolutely, JT. Always a pleasure talking with you, my, mi amigo. And, yeah, the Raiders, they, they can actually start their offseason program two weeks before the teams that have the same head coach from last year because they got Josh McDaniels as their new head coach. So April 4th is the day that they can start their offseason workout programs, and that's absolutely a benefit knowing now that they're going to play the first preseason game. And also, it's an extra preseason game. The Raiders, instead of playing three preseason games this year, they're going to play four. 
So that's another extra for the Raider Nation, knowing that they'll have uh, 17 regular season games, four preseason games. Hey, we got a, a little extra for uh, having the possibility to hang out with our Raider Nation family out there in Canton. Yeah, that's a really important point. I'm happy you brought that up. So extra preseason game, we're now getting accustomed to 17 regular season games. And the ability, because there's going to be such high turnover at the coaching staff, for the coaching staff to have an extra game in the preseason to work out their communication. And they all know how to do this. They're all professional coaches, but working together as a unit and those extra practices, which Derek Carr shows up for anyway. Derek Carr is always available. He's working out in the park. He's working out with players outside the facility. I just think this gives them a little bit more time to all get accommodated and get on the same page. Absolutely. And we all know that that, Hall of Fame game, you aren't going to see any of the uh, starters that you're going to see in the regular season, and also because you're playing a team that you're going to face in the regular season. But as you said, for the coaches to getting used to being in their new team gear, to being used to their new communications, a new language they're going to use uh, on the field, that's going to be important. And also knowing that Cliff Branch is going in, that Richard Seymour is going in, it's going to be a great weekend for the Raider Nation out there in Canton, Ohio. They always invade when there's a silver and black representative in Canton. Now even more. Harry Ruiz joins us, the Spanish voice of the Raiders. So, Harry, I've been looking at a few mock drafts that are coming out now. Pro Football Focus had them taking a corner here. When you take a look and prepare, and it's just the beginning of the offseason, but it's going to be short, what do you think the priority is for the Raiders at the Combine? Is it going to be offensive line, Because I'm not a big fan of young offensive linemen unless they're superstars. Young offensive linemen take a long time to develop in the league. They come in babies. They're going up against men. And it's tough for young offensive linemen in the second, third, fourth round to develop. It takes a couple of years. Or would you like to see the secondary with a new defensive coordinator be a priority, maybe mainly at the cornerback position? So the positive thing right here, JT, is that the Raiders – they get to watch every player possible on the combine. They don't have to pick, but obviously they got to focus in on the positions of need. And we're talking the secondary cornerbacks to be more specific, the wide receiver position, the offensive line position, but they get to see everybody and they're going to take that knowledge into the draft. That isn't until the last week of April. And by then they will know who they're going to pick up in the free agency that starts here in a couple of weeks. So Pay attention to everybody for the the front office of the Raiders, Dave Ziegler, heading that new crew out there in Indianapolis. Check out everybody in the combine. But by the time that the draft is going to come, you might already have that offensive lineman or the offensive lineman that you need and maybe cover another position. And then your position of need becomes specifically a cornerback or a linebacker or a wide receiver and an offensive lineman. So right now in Indianapolis, they got to just, cover every base possible, and also those late-round late draft picks, hopefully you can end up with another Max Crosby or another Hunter Renfro mm-hmm. that might not be a position of need right now, but that can help you in the future. Harry Ruiz, the Spanish voice of the Raiders, joins us on Mondays. As we move on to what the team needs to do and what they'd like to do, Devontae Adams is looming. And everybody thinks that that's the fit. If he doesn't sign with the Packers, if they don't franchise tag him, which I think they'll, they will, if they franchise tag him, they can trade him to the Raiders, and they're going to want a lot in that trade. If Aaron Rodgers leaves, I think Devontae Adams would want to leave. If Aaron Rodgers stays, I think he'd be smart to stay with Aaron Rodgers because Rodgers is going to put up big numbers. 
and he feeds Devontae Adams, who's putting up these Hall of Fame-like numbers the last couple of years. And then the Raiders would have to pay Devontae Adams, give up compensation, why they have to pay Derek Carr, while they have to do that. That sounds pretty rich to me, Harry, that you got to trade for Devontae Adams if he's tagged, you got to pay Carr, and then you got to give Devontae Adams a fresh new contract as the highest paid wide receiver. That sounds damn expensive to me. And you also got to consider that Hunter Renfro and Max Crosby are now eligible for extensions, and those are two guys that you definitely want to keep on the team. Of course, Devontae Adams reuniting with Derek Carr would be music to all of Raider Nation's ears, but we also got to be realistic. He wants to be the best-paid wide receiver in the position. Why? Because he has produced as such the last couple of years with the Green Bay Packers. He outplayed his contract extension that he had out there now, He earned his right to ask for the kind of money that he is asking. But at the same time, if you don't get him, there are great options right now in the draft. You can look at Allen Robinson. You can look at Chris Godwin, uh, T.Y. Hilton, Juju Smith-Schuster. There's a lot of options. If you don't end up with Devontae Adams, of course he would be a dream come true having him in silver and black. But there are still more options that can play that position for the Raiders at a way lesser price than what you would have to pay for Devontae Adams. He's the Latino voice of the Raiders. Harry Ruiz joins us. So uh, one one more position group I want to talk about here quickly because I think it's important with this team, the safety position and the decision that's going to have to be made with Jonathan Abram and Trayvon Merrick. I would think Trayvon Merrick would be very safe. He's young. He's protected by his salary. He played well last year, didn't give up a lot of big plays. I thought he played really deep on the back end, and that was the philosophy of Gus Bradley, and I liked it. I thought it was perfect for him. Ben, don't break. He didn't break a lot, but there were a lot of passes that were thrown in front of him. The red zone defense was not strong for the Raiders. Do you think this is going to be a priority to see if those two can play together, or do you think Jonathan Abram, we've seen enough from him to just focus on Merrick and maybe go out, maybe go out and get someone a little bit more proven at the other safety position? Yeah, this is a great situation the Raiders are are in, knowing that Patrick Graham is coming in as their defensive coordinator, what he can do with these two young safeties in the Raiders. I think Merrick did a fantastic job last year. Jonathan Abram, we know that he plays the best when he's closer to the defensive line and creating havoc in there. But as a safety, your position is being way further from that position. So it's going to be interesting. Graham loves knows how to use players in the best way possible. So it's going to be interesting to see that situation, especially knowing Abram is a first-round player. So this year, the Raiders, before the there's a limit time limit for them to take that fifth-year option or have him play under that last year of his rookie deal in 2022. It could be a make-or-break year for Jonathan Abram, but it's another position that in the if you find some talent in the late rounds, you might be able to pick someone up and have him there as a potential future piece for that Raiders secondary. Harry Ruiz is our guest. So let's talk about Metallica. You've enjoyed some Metallica concerts over the last couple of years. Allegiant Stadium, they come in. They're Raider fans. James Hatfield is. You've been up close before. You've seen him a number of times. And I thought it was a great night. It was loud. It was intense. It was everybody expected and it was packed it was absolutely jam-packed especially on the floor yeah that's what i was saying on social media it's a legit sellout there were literally like a couple of tickets released the day of the concert and i ended up 
snagging one of them. I had to work earlier in the day. That's why I had to sell my floor, general floors ticket instead of going down there at eight in the morning. I had to just show up at six o'clock. It was incredible, JT. It was my first concert at Allegiant Stadium. I had heard that in the first couple of them, they had some audio issues. On Friday night, it was perfect. It was amazing. Uh, Metallica always delivers. And I said it on Twitter. I'll say it again. They can play the same set a hundred times and i'll keep going for the 101st because they're incredible the only if i'm nitpicking at something i wish james hetfield would have yelled the raiders at the end of the concert but we all know that that didn't happen but it was incredible it was amazing jt my back is still hurting my neck is still hurting from head banging in my club seat and uh hopefully i'm better by the end of the week but it was 100 yeah. percent worth it yeah, I was going to Billy Joel the following night, and I came home, and not so much singing along. I don't sing along with Metallica as much as Billy Joel. It was just loud, and where I was sitting, it was loud, and I thought the music was dialed in well. You know, stadium concerts are different than clubs, and I think they've dialed it in right. I thought it sounded great, and again, I hope they play here again. They're the perfect fit to play here once a year or once every two or three years. Harry, uh, before we wrap this up, what is the one big takeaway that you want to see from the Raiders at the Combine here. You know, they're coming in as a group. They're coming in with a new coach, a new GM. The interview process to me is the big deal. I don't know how these gentlemen interview. I don't know who they're looking for. I don't have an idea like you. What position group is a priority for them? We'll eventually find out. They'll probably tip their hand or tell us the direction they're going to go in. But this is a big week for this young staff, this new staff, to get to know each other on the road and come up there with, and come back with a lot of information to Henderson to analyze and get ready for this draft. Absolutely. It will be very interesting to see the process that this new front office makes with the new, uh, of course, the new general manager, the new head coach, the new staff, and see how it plays out over the next month and a half from going from getting to know these players personally, keeping in touch with them, and then drafting them. And, of course, by the time the regular season starts, knowing how close of it being from a home run or a strikeout each of those picks are. But it's the Raiders pretty much have their seven draft picks. They got the opportunity to get to meet these guys, and it's going to be interesting to see the way that the team evolves with this new front office and head and coaching staff that the Raiders have. I'm, I'm super interested. I'll be tuned in starting from tomorrow to the end of the week and hopefully seeing a couple of future Raider legends out yep. there on the field. Thank you, Harry. Good talking to you, buddy. I'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Of course, JT. Muchas gracias, mi amigo. Thank you, amigo. Harry Ruiz, the Latino voice of the silver and black. I'm going away here for a little bit, uh, taking a family vacation my wife and I are heading to Florida to see my parents and to get away here for a little bit, and we'll talk to Harry in a couple of Mondays from now. 702-365-9200 as we continue on Raider Nation Radio. The first guy to call in from the concert was a guest. Thought I'd hear from more Raider Metallica fans today who went to that show. Did you have a good time? Have you seen improvement with your concert experience? Every concert I've gone to there I've loved. I've had a great time. So I've been to Garth Brooks, been to Guns N' Roses, the Rolling Stones, clearly Metallica, and Billy Joel. It's a pretty good run of concerts. Build it and they will come. I told you. Build it and they will come. There's always going to be a couple of people in this town that complain, the roads, the traffic, where do I go, where do I park, how do I get there? There's always going to be complainers in your life. I'm not one of them on the radio. 
I, I'm glasses half full when we go to these games and these concerts. It takes a bit of an effort. you got to plan ahead. And then you go, you have memories for a lifetime. You have memories for a lifetime. And the complainers aren't going anyway, so let them complain about it. 702-365-9200. Jay, here in Vegas. Thanks for waiting. You're up next. Jay, go ahead. Thanks for taking my call, JT. Oh, as Thank always. you. Uh, JT, you mentioned uh, glasses half full. I'm, I'm usually a ha- glasses half full kind of mm-hmm. guy, but I got to take on my Lakers. I'm a lifelong Laker fan, and I'm looking at my Lakers as a glass is three, three quarters empty. I'm so disgusted of, of what my Lakers have become. And, you know, when LeBron came to L.A., you know, I looked at the deal kind of – I looked at it sideways because I kind of had a feeling of what, um, at the end of the day, what it was going to turn into. And, you know, when the Raiders – I mean, when the uh, Lakers won uh, the title in the bubble, you know, I was ecstatic because I felt like they did it for uh, for Kobe, mm-hmm. you know. And, uh, they did. And, you know, but – all that happiness and all that emotion has quickly wore off because I, I, you know, I, I seen what, what ultimately has happened and they, they've, uh, they've ultimately uh, let LeBron run the show. And, you know, as much as blame that people want to put on LeBron James, I actually blame Jeannie Buss for this because she's allowed that to happen. You know, uh, being a lifelong fan, you know, I've seen magic, I've seen Shaq and Kobe and, you know, yeah, magic may have, gotten Paul Westhead fire, but, you know, he ne- was never allowed to actually build the roster for, uh, you know, Shaq and Kobe, you know, they, they you know, Jerry Buss opted to go with Kobe instead of Shaq, but never did he let him actually pick the roster. And for them, for Jeannie Buss to allow LeBron to come in and pick the roster and look what it is. It's, 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 it's a horrible watch. Well, you I know, they like didn't pick, look, they didn't pick a bunch of bombs. They picked Hall of Famers. They picked Carmelo Anthony, Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis came earlier. You know, they got a lot of players who were going to the Hall of Fame. It wasn't like they mixed and matched a bunch of bombs. These are good players that were supposed to have a little bit left to be competitive, to be a 3-4-5 seed, and then be able to be fresh and ready for the playoffs. That was the plan. Yeah, JT. I know it was a plan, but these players were not close to once they want they once yeah. once uh, you know once the they were once were you know what I'm saying, JT. I mean, sure. these were players that that had their best days were behind them, and I mean I seen it coming, and it's like never have I seen that before. Mm-hmm. Like like they're beholden to him, and and I kind of look at LeBron James as like the movie Independence Day. You know, he's coming in sucking all the resources, and now he's going to leave. Now, when you said that, you know, the uh, the door wasn't shut on Cleveland, do you really think Dan Gilbert wants LeBron James back? They no. got a really good thing going. They got a lot of great young players going, and I don't think he wants uh, that, uh, you know, that type of player coming in and kind of messing it up because, I mean, right now I would rather have the players that we once had. Yeah, they weren't ready at the time, but I would rather have Alex Caruso. I'd rather have Brandon Ingram, you know, some of the players that, that they let go so they could bring in the players that LeBron wanted. But, you know, it's a horrible watch. I mean, this is terrible. And I'm just – and I see, really, to be honest with you, dark days ahead for the Lakers because it's no secret that he wants to play with his son. And once he gets drafted or once he goes to a team that obviously is not going to be the Lakers, he's going to leave and the team's going to be left in shambles. And I just don't know when, when the light at the end of the tunnel is. And I appreciate you Thanks for the call. Yeah, thank, thank, thanks for the call. That, that's a good call. That's why we talk about the NBA. That's why we talk about the NBA, because I know there are Laker fans listening on Raider Nation Radio. I don't know what to tell you. This thing from the beginning has been a mess. LeBron James has all the power. He should have the power. He's one of the greatest players of all time. He was rated the second best of the 75 all-time players. He has control. Rich Paul of Clutch Sports. 
and LeBron basically run the Lakers now, and it hasn't worked out. You know, I, I, a lot of times I would take a championship. The Lakers got the championship in a bubble. I'm a little bit different on that championship. I think that championship, that championship felt like one and a half. It felt like one and a half championships because they did it under such adverse situations in a bubble during a pandemic. That was harder. That was harder than doing it at home, sleeping in your bed in Bel Air, sleeping in your bed in Malibu, and playing in front of 20,000 fans, playing in front of nobody other than a few media and winning a championship the way the Lakers did for Anthony Davis getting his ring and for LeBron getting his fourth. I give them a lot of credit for that. So Laker fans can't have selective memory. They just won a championship right before Giannis won. And in order to do that, you know, they're taking a step back now, but they still got a championship recently. And there are several teams in NBA history that have none, that have none. So when Laker fans start whining and complaining that it doesn't work out and the sky's falling, all they got to do at the new crypt at crypto.com is look up into the rafters at all the retired jerseys and all the championships. The team knows how to win. They're not going to be in a rebuild like my Knicks for 40 years. They'll figure out a way to get better. But at this point in time, here's LeBron James, and you can tell he's almost at a loss for words. He's never been a part of anything like this. Well, I don't have an answer from tonight. I mean, obviously, you talk about the future. I don't, that's for us all to figure out. I mean, you don't know what can happen in the next, you know, few weeks. You don't know what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. I don't think LeBron's looking to bail L.A. He's in Los Angeles. He's got a production company. He's got television, movies, whatever he's doing. I don't think LeBron's looking to bolt. But what they have to do, their big problem is they have to match Russell Westbrook's contract and trade Russell Westbrook and get one or two players that equal his contract. And that's going to be really hard to do. And keeping Anthony Davis healthy is obviously very hard to do. And LeBron's going to be another year older next year. But LeBron's like Tom Brady. He keeps his body in pretty good shape. He's always ready to play. He's fit. I think LeBron will come back next year and be inspired. But if they're able to win one round in the playoffs, it'll be pretty important because they'll be playing a high seed. LeBron's going to open up in the playoffs against a really good team. It could be the Warriors. It could be the Jazz. It could be Phoenix. And all they got to do is win that series and knock off a big seed. And LeBron and Anthony Davis to dominate. And then all of a sudden, everybody's going to be talking about the Lakers again. But most NBA insiders, they figure they're going to limp into the playoffs. They're checked out. They're already quitting. They don't like playing together. And they're going to be one and done. They're going to lose. Imagine if LeBron James doesn't win a playoff round and Aaron Rodgers doesn't win a playoff round. Two of the biggest names, a two-time MVP in football, Aaron Rodgers. He didn't win a playoff game this year. And LeBron James might not make the playoffs. A lot of truth to that. He might not make the playoffs the way this team is playing. It's one of the most underachieving rosters so far in NBA history. And maybe they can turn it around again because I like Russell Westbrook and hopefully they can turn it around. We're waiting on news of the cancellation of Major League Baseball on opening day as the labor negotiation is going on now, and there's not a lot of good news out there as I have MLB Network on, and we're waiting for breaking news on this, which should be coming in in the next hour or so. Kevin Kernan, formerly of the New York Post, will join us here in a little bit. They're talking about the competitive balance tax. seed payroll thresholds are subject to the tax which is 210 million in 2021 
So teams who go above the payroll are taxed on each dollar above the threshold. So if you go over $210 million and your payroll is $250 million, you're going to spend $40 million over in a tax. And it increases based on the number of consecutive years a club goes over the luxury tax. Plus an additional surtax levied by teams exceeding threshold by $20 million. So that's a really big topic here because they're trying to curb spending. And the players don't want to see that because the players want to see more spending so the union makes more money. Players want to make money. They don't want it to be capped. But there really isn't a cap. It's only a cap on a couple of teams that are out of control. And those would be the Cubs, the Yankees, the Dodgers, a handful of teams. I can't believe it. The Padres. The Padres are starting to spend money. But those are one of the big issues in front of us. So we'll get an update on that coming back here on the other side. If opening day is canceled, will it bother you or will you move on to something else? I think most people could care less and they'll move on to something else. As long as we get some baseball in the summer, people can get out of the house, have a beer, have a hot dog and watch a few games. Kevin Kernan is a genius baseball writer, one of the best I know. He'll give us some sharp analysis coming up next. And the breaking news today, the Raiders will play in Canton, Ohio, August 4th against the Jaguars. In the Hall of Fame game, brought to you by Remy Martin, Team Up for Excellence. Garcia delivers. There's a fly ball to right field. Well hit. Bryant going back to the wall, and it is gone. Mookie Betts goes the other way, and the Dodgers take a 4 to nothing lead. JJ, back with you. Thanks for listening, everybody. This Major League Baseball deadline for games to keep the players locked out and potentially losing games is the biggest story in sports today. Let me bring in Kevin Kernan, great friend of the show, longtime baseball sports writer, sports writer in general of all sports, one of the best I know. Ball9.com and all the years at the New York Post. And, Kevin, I always look forward to seeing you in Florida or talking to you. I didn't think we'd get right down to this trade deadline. How optimistic are you or disappointed with the negotiations between the owners and the union? Uh, Not optimistic at all. JT, if you remember way back when when you had me on, I said they're probably going to miss games. Players will dig in towards the end. Owners don't care. And that's where we're at right now. I spoke to some people today, and, and they made it very clear that the owners, they would actually don't mind missing games in April because they, they lose money in April. It's a bad month for them. So, so I, think, uh, I think Ron Fowler just left the meetings, and, and Ron is the, uh, you know, they got a lot of voices of the smaller market teams. He's with the uh, Padres. So I think it's not good. You, you talk, you're hearing talks now that the players already set with a uh, stadium in, in, in uh Phoenix area, same thing in Florida. They'll be able to work out there. So uh, dig in. I think it's going to be a while. Kevin, let's start with a couple of the big topics. First off, this competitive balance tax. Over the last two years in 2020, I saw this stat at MLB. Uh, mm-hmm. No one went over that number of $208 million. And last year, over 210, only two teams did. And clearly the players would like to see it go up. The owners would like to stabilize that number for cost. Where do you stay with this? Are we in the point now where there's going to be an arms race again, or do most of these owners say, we don't want to be taxed, we don't want to go crazy over this threshold, we want to control cost and salaries more? 
Well, you described it perfectly. That's their mindset. If you look closely at the teams, and I don't have them right in front of me, but the teams that almost went over it, like the Yankees and things like that, they kind of stopped right at 210. So it's essentially a salary cap in their mind. You know, you have the Steve Cohen's of the world who's going to spend whatever he's got to spend because he's a hedge fund guy, doesn't care about the money. But most of the owners are not going to go over that. That's And that's the big issue. Because don't forget, and, and this, this is the elephant in the room, JT, and you being in Vegas, there's a lot of gambling money uh, access that they're going to have to. Basically, Manfred wants to turn every every uh, ballpark into a casino. So the players see that they've been beaten in the last uh, issues, uh, and they went a little hardcore this time. And I, I talked to somebody from the player side, and they said, uh, and I thought this was a really interesting comment. They said, you know what we miss? We miss having a guy like Michael Weiner who passed away. He was a negotiator. You have Scott Boris guys who are in there. You know, Max Scherzer, in there. his hair's on fire. He, he's got a certain attitude, just like when he pitches. So you're not seeing a lot of negotiating. So I think they'd love to see that number go up so they'd spend more. And here's the thing that scares me most of all, and I think baseball fans can relate to this, besides the fact losing games. Uh, you know, I've been writing a long time. That's become a, new, uh, a, a niche sport, you know. But mm-hmm. the middle class, just like in America now, the middle class is getting pushed out of the game. Are you going to keep a Josh Harrison for $8 million when you've got to pay uh, you know, uh, minimum salary guys 800000 or whatever? They're going to keep pushing the middle class out, and you have the super rich and then the young kids, and you're going to lose a lot of that talent. What do those middle class guys do besides being solid players? They teach these other guys how to be major league players. So the game is changing and, so, and evolving in so many ways because it's just numbers. Nobody looks inside the player anymore and the heart, and there's so many things wrong with what's going on in baseball, and this just makes it worse. Kevin Kernan is our guest, Ball9.com. So, Kevin, the other big topic is arbitration eligible. You know, a big topic today, Kyler Murray with the Arizona Cardinals. He's mm. going to get $5 million this year. He outplayed his contract, but it's a rookie contract. And I look at baseball. If a kid like Soto comes in at 19 or Bryce Harper at 18 or 19, I believe if they end up being superstars, they should get paid by like superstars early. But the owners have control over players getting to arbitration and when they can get their really big, long contract. Where have you st- stood on this over the years with this eligibility requirement? I think the players should fight for this, and they should lower that. I agree 100%. This, to me, this is the major issue for the players because it gets back to my thought about taking care of people so you don't push them out of the game. And, and, and I'm going to throw a guy at you that, you know, you're very familiar with, Aaron Judge. Mm-hmm. Aaron Judge should have been taken care of by the Yankees a couple of years ago. I have a great relationship with him. And a few years ago, first day that I saw him in spring training, I walked up to him. And this is when guys like uh, Acuna were getting contracts. And I said, hey, you know, I go, hey, hey Judge, Judge, uh, did you get your Yankee, uh, Yankees call you about me doing your contract? And he laughed. And he said, Kevin, it's the Yankees. They don't do it that way. And, and, you know, that's, so that, that's a perfect example of a young player who should be paid not only because of what he's producing on the field. And I'm not talking about if there are some injuries involved. We know that, mm-hmm. but that's a chance to take with anybody. But also the, the, the jerseys he sells, the way he markets the team. So they, the owners are their own worst enemy. Instead of taking care of those players you just mentioned and taking care of them and maybe easing the pain for that, 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 that kind of group, they, they made it worse by just sticking it to them any way they can, and that's what you have. So now the players have become a little bit uh, more together on this issue. And, and it's sad because 
Uh, you know, so how about Soto t- t- turning down the money now? Because you know, in Boris's world, he's going to be a five hundred million dollar player. So, so it's it's bad on both ends. And who loses? This is my biggest problem of all. The the fan loses. Do they know what world we're in right now with these both sides arguing? The world's on fire. Gas mm-hmm. is crazy. Who's going to be able to afford to go to these games and pay these prices? But they don't care. I've said it for a long time. Manfred does not care about the fan. He's just doing the owner's bidding. And the players live in such a sheltered world now, they forgot where, they, you know, where they've come from with the fans. Kevin Kernan, the great baseball writer, the great baseball sports insider, Ball9.com. So what I don't understand about these billionaire owners, I look mm-hmm. at empty stadiums in Oakland. I see at times yep. Tampa Bay's in first and they're playing in front of nobody. How deep are their pockets because of what they're getting from the baseball contract for television and these new streaming dollars? Are are you suggesting that the owners are making so much money that they can afford? I like what you said about April being a bad month for them because of the cold weather back east. Why are they so dug in and not want to help out the kids and the people that want to go to games and have a good time and have a hot dog and a beer and a Coke? Why aren't these owners more reasonable and so dug in and not caring if they lose some money, a couple of million bucks? Is it all because they're billionaires? Exactly. And they also, and this is very important to understand this, most of these teams, and I think uh, you know, you're seeing it time again, most of these teams work within a budget of money they take in and still want to make money. So they're not going to go, even though the value of their franchise goes up every year, that doesn't count in their mind. It's all about the money they have in front of them, and they don't want to go over that. And and, and that's why, in the end, it would, it, it, the, the, you see the empty seats, and you say, why not have a family day on, like on a Tuesday or Wednesday, you know, one-price ticket, and you get this and that and that, and you drop. They don't even care. They don't, they don't, they don't, they don't want you there because it costs too much to maybe open. You've seen it before. Sometimes they don't open different parts of the stadium. Their mindset is just on taking in as much money, now money, by the way, and not worrying about the future fan. And that's why, too, uh, we didn't get to it, but that's why they got rid of 42 minor league teams. The minor leagues, are the, uh, like one businessman told me that's in baseball, he said, this is the only sport where they want to grow the sport by reducing the sport. I've never seen anything like this in my life. Uh, and they keep making that same mistake, whether it's the minor leagues, the fans, the family. You see it over and over again. And that's why, JT, that's why the game has lost its value in our gen, we've grown up. It's a whole different world than when we were kids and the value of going to a game. But they don't care, and and they've moved on from us. Wrapping it up with Kevin Kernan. Follow him at AMBS underscore Kernan. You know, Kevin, the other thing that just fascinates me about baseball is the analytics. And I've been trying <laughs> to figure out this topic for a long time now because i got two sons, 20 and 18, and they grew up loving baseball in, in strollers, toddlers walking into Yankee Stadium. We went on a ballpark summer tour. And now they're 20 and 18, and they, could, they don't care as much. They care more about the NBA, the NFL. But they'd love to go to a ball game with their grandparents, myself, my wife. And I don't want them to lose interest. And I'll be fair. My kids are like most kids. Their attention span isn't for three and a half hours at a baseball game. They want it quick. They get their highlights quickly. They get it on their phone. When a home run goes out, they get it before their dad on the radio at night. They know what's happening. What are you concerned more about when it comes to the game, the speed of the game, analytics, the shift, universal DH? What's positive and what's negative now about the game being played on the diamond? I'm going to throw one number at you. You know, I don't rely on numbers, but this one tells a story. There were basically 57,000 shifts last year in baseball. 
There also were 42,000 strikeouts and about 16, 15,000 walks. So that basically is 57, gets you up to 57. So 57,000 plate appearances where nothing happened. 57,000 times where the shift came along and maybe took away hits, and, and you see how dumb the players are. They won't go the other way. They won't take the hit. So baseball is killing itself with inaction, and, and it's not going to change because they know they get paid because they think they're going to hit it over the shift and over the fence. That's all that matters to these guys. That's how they get paid. So baseball has created this, and they don't reward the little things, and it's not going to get any better. And that's why those kids are looking at the phone, because 57,000 times nothing's happened at the plate last year. And it's a shame. My advice would be, and I wrote a column about this, I also spoke to Jim Riggleman, who's going to Montana this yes. year. And, and he said, you know what, um, one of the reasons why I'm leaving the Major League game is because there's too much eyewash, too much of spending time, nothing getting done. And I think that speaks about the game and also the front offices. They don't look, they don't look at the little things anymore the heart inside a player that makes a difference. Yet, yet, almost every team that wins the World Series is one of those type of teams that does the little things right. But in the big picture, how they're making money, just the way, uh, I don't want to get too heavy here, but they're following the Lunau plan. Lunau came from McKenzie, and just like a lot of people come from McKenzie, they do cost analysis, and that's essentially what baseball is doing. And uh, you can see that in my ball nine columns, but it's, it's, it's really a shame. And also, you know, a guy that's uh, close to our hearts, you know, we, we just saw today. Derek Jeter walked away, basically, today yeah. because they probably, you know, I was talking to some people in Miami. They said that uh, he was in all the meetings. They had the minor leagues there, the uh, the, the top top uh, candidates. And, and this, this hit him like a ton of bricks. I guarantee you what happened is that he was probably given, he finally given the budget, and the budget was nothing like he expected, and you can't sign a guy like Castellanos. So more baseball people leaving the game is the short answer for you because they can't stand the game anymore the way it's being played. One more follow-up with Jeter. For Jeter to walk away on this day (laughs) and what this day means to baseball and fans and what's at stake, that to me is incredible, and I agree with you. He must have been so blown away in the boardroom that he said he's done as a guy who's high up investing in this, a vision that he wants to have. Does this mean he ends up with the Yankees at some point in a dignitary role or a management role? I mean, he doesn't need it, the money, the Hall of Fame revenue on the signings. What do you think Jeter does next? Well, I think this is the Brady effect. He's he probably like Tom Brady. He's looking at things and with the wife and the kids and stuff like that. I don't need this if they're not going to support me. I've known Derek forever, and I, there's no bigger competitor I've ever seen. Once, once that rug was pulled from him, he's done. He's done. My guess is he won't go to the Yankees simply because I don't think there's a great relationship there with Cashman, and I don't think Hal Steinbrenner is smart enough to hire him in any capacity that could help, and he's not going to be an underling. My guess is if he gets back to baseball, and keep, keep this in mind, and we'll probably talk about it in a couple of years, my guess is somebody comes along with an expansion team that's got money, it's going to run it right. Wow, wouldn't you love that, Derek? He's already, he's already spent five years making some mistakes, learning some things. You mm-hmm. put Derek Jeter in charge all of a sudden you're moving forward as an expansion team. And I think that could happen down the road. Thanks, my friend. I'll see you in St. Augustine. Really appreciate you. You got it, buddy. Take care. Kevin Kernan. What a fabulous, fabulous conversation that is from him. He's fantastic. Ball9.com. He's a really deep baseball writer, sports writer, New York Post, 40 years. He lives in St. Augustine, retired, writing some baseball now. And my in-laws live there, so we get together for breakfast by the beach and we talk baseball. He's great. I hope you enjoyed that. 
as baseball's on the brink. You know, we're all sports fans. We're Raider fans on Raider Nation Radio. It's the quiet season. It's the quiet season. I'm covering some breaking news today on MLB. And the Derek Jeter and the Marlins agreed to part today. That is a very good clue of what's happening today in all of Major League Baseball. Derek Jeter, one of the most important athletes of the last 50 years, no debate. You don't have to be a Yankee fan. The Derek Jeter brand, he quit today. He quit on the Marlins in Major League Baseball. So he's privy to the budgets and the numbers and what's happening here. And Derek Jeter probably got so frustrated that he walked away because he knows what's going on in these negotiations. And I'm surprised that Derek Jeter would do that on this day. Today's day is all about will baseball, will the owners lock out the players? And that's going to happen here in the next hour or two. So Derek Jeter wants to make news on that day? Derek Jeter must have been so frustrated with this sport that he just decided to quit and walk away. 702-365-9200 if you want to get in before the end of the show. I'm expecting to hear from Raider fans who are going to Canton now that we found out that the Raiders will be playing in Canton on August 4th for Cliff Branch. Richard Seymour, who are getting in, he played for the Raiders. Tony Baselli for the Jaguars. That was a bit of a surprise today. I didn't see that coming. I don't think a lot of Raider fans saw it coming. But take it from me, if you're smart, you are calling in Canton right now and getting a hotel. I mean now, today. You, your partner, your wife, your friends, you get on a conference call, you get on a text thread, and you get an airline ticket, and you find a room. Because Canton is small. And once Canton gets booked up, you got you got to stay outside of Canton. And the next town where there are rooms is Akron. And it's not around the corner. And you got to rent a car. And, you know, if you're coming from out west, it's a big trip. But once you get there, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievably great, the history of the NFL and the opportunity to tour the hall and now to see Tom Flores and Charles Woodson in their bust, along with John Madden and all the legends that are there, like our friend Phil Bol- uh, Fred Bolitnikoff and our birthday boy, Phil Villapiano. So that's going to make the Cliff event that much better. The Cliff event is going to be that much better because Cliff is going to have more Raider fans in there because the Raiders are playing in the game. And I've been texting back and forth with Cliff's sister, and she's really excited about it too. The fact that they're going to get an extra boost of silver and black in Canton, Ohio, which is going to be fantastic. Loving this. Took my wife last year to the Hall of Fame, and you know I was confident that Cliff would get in at some point, but I had this big closure moment as my wife and I were driving to the airport, and we were leaving Canton, and I said, I don't know whenever I'm ever going to come back here again. I'm only going to come back if it's a Raider, Jim Plunkett, Lester Hayes, you know, the guys I know, Todd Christensen, who I didn't know well, but, you know, the, the Raiders who could get in in the future, and Cliff, I didn't think I'd be going back in a year. I'm happy that the Hall of Fame got it right. I'm very grateful. There's a tremendous amount of gratitude that the Hall of Fame got it right for our friend Cliff Branch. It was way too long, but by August, everybody's going to be on the same page. Party for Cliff. Dance music, late night, Raider fans filling up all the bars in Canton, Ohio. And we will be there on Raider Nation Radio as we wrap up the show coming up next.
Wales will just have to inbound, Dave, and this will be their second ever win over the number one team in the country. And that's it! And they rush the floor here at University Credit Union Pavilion. And your final score, St. Mary's 67, Gonzaga 57, and Gonzaga's 34-game West Coast Conference winning streak comes to an end. How, how does Gonzaga lose to St. Mary's? How is that possible? I know St. Mary's is good. I know they're in the top 25. You're Gonzaga. You're the number one seed. That's when they play this WCC tournament out there. I usually, I usually don't go because it's just Gonzaga crushing inferior teams. This is why it's so bleeping hard to root for Gonzaga, the team I root for. I want them to win a championship. They lose by 10 to St. Mary's. They have 20 points in the first half. That's incredible. That can't happen at all. So on Saturday, the number one team in the country lost Gonzaga. The number two team, Arizona, lost to Colorado. The number three team, Auburn, lost to Tennessee. The number four team, Purdue, lost to Michigan State. The number five team, Kansas, lost to Baylor. The number six team, Kentucky, lost to Arkansas. Can you believe that? The number nine team, Texas Tech, lost to TCU. So that was upset city, as Dickie V would say. Incredible. Amazing. I've never seen that happen in my lifetime where, you know, seven out of the nine teams lose. That was incredible to see. So the upsets and the new poll, and we'll take a look at the rankings coming here. There, there shouldn't have been a lot of change because clearly all the teams, but Duke went to number two in the coaches poll, and Duke went to number four, and Gonzaga remains at one. So there was a little bit of movement there, but how do you fill out Gonzaga and pick them to win the tournament? How do you do it? How do you fill out your bracket and put Gonzaga to win it all? when they can't beat St. Mary's. I don't know. Q's coming up next. There should be excitement on this channel all day today because the Raiders are going to play in Canton. They're going to be in Canton for the Hall of Fame, and hopefully you make arrangements to be there with all of us. That's it for today. Big shows lined up rest of the week, including Marcus Allen. The Hall of Famer will join us as he'll be the Grand Marshal of the Pennzoil 400. We're excited about that later on in the week. Have a great day, everybody. Keep it here to Raider Nation Radio. Thanks to Bobby for putting the show together. Thanks to everybody who listens. And thanks to all of our proud partners who keep us on the radio. Thank you.